Sammy, one of the leaders here. Um, so I'm going to share with you. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. We've been on a real journey as a church over the last number of years, um, and we've really seen God blessing the church uh, with real growth, and that's incredible, and we're really thankful for that. But you know, with great growth um, comes real responsibility, and sometimes it's very easy to become a crowd. So today, um, I want to talk about something called community. As we're growing as a church, how do we continue to be a community? Not just a crowd, not just people turning up on a Sunday, but how do we do life together? Okay, so that's what we're going to look at. And we're going to ask the question, are we getting lonelier? Let's just pray before we open up God's Word. Father, I thank you that you're with us this morning. God, I thank you that you love us. I thank you for those wonderful words earlier on about your grace. God, it's your grace that saves us. And God, you've called us into community, community with you and community with others. God, I pray this morning um, as I share on that topic of community, that, God, you would just come and you would speak to us. God, I pray what you want them to hear. You would speak so much into their hearts. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. So as I said before, I want to answer this question. Are we getting lonelier? Mother Teresa, you saw um, on the clip behind there, said the biggest disease today is not leprosy, but rather the feeling of being unwanted and alone. Don't know if anyone keeps up to date with the BBC, but they've recently done um, a study, and they have found that Edinburgh, this is terrible, Edinburgh is the loneliest place to live in the UK. So if you're visiting, maybe you've come to Edinburgh for the first time, welcome, <laughs> welcome to Edinburgh. Okay, this is a study conducted by the University of Sheffield, and the figures showed that 33.1%, that's a third of people in the area, that's in Edinburgh, were less likely to be involved in their local community or to feel a part of it. They said that Edinburgh's loneliness figure has risen by 13% since 1971. And listen to this, to overtake London and come top of all the cities in the UK. And Holyrood was apparently named as the loneliest place in Edinburgh. I don't know if anyone lives in Holyrood. Maybe you're not going to admit that this morning. On top of that, um, Scotland has the highest rate of suicide in the UK. Um, studies by the Mental Health Foundation, um, which is uh, in the UK, doing uh, studies on suicide showed that the biggest risk factor to suicide was social isolation. People that feel alone choosing to end their lives. According to figures from the Office for National Statistics, from 1991 to 2004, the suicide rate among men was 50% higher in Scotland than any other UK country, and double that for women anywhere else. Suicide believe it or not, is the second biggest killer of young men after road accidents. Suicide accounts for 20% of all deaths in men aged between 15 
and 24. The second biggest killer, you could argue, is loneliness. Crazy, isn't it? It's hard-hitting stuff. You know, there's been massive changes, hasn't there, in the last number of years in the way, I suppose, Western society does things. I don't know about you, but um, it feels like everybody's traveling to work longer, we're commuting longer, and we're working harder, we're working longer, and we're barely finding time to spend with friends and families. I think sometimes in the West, socializing, investing time in people, is generally seen as less important than productive work. Writing about loneliness in the 21st century, Harvard professors of psychiatry, Jacqueline Olds and Richard Schwartz said this, there's a cult of busyness that has become a modern badge of honor. No wonder our relationships are suffering. I don't know if you feel that yourself. I don't know if you feel people are saying, I'm too busy. I'm too busy. I've got too much on. Why is solitary confinement one of the cruelest tortures that man has ever dreamed up? Why has research that we saw on the back there proven that loneliness actually stunts neurological growth? Because you and I were made for community. On the flip side of this, Why is there a wealth of research indicating that relationships are good for us? Why is love known to promote health by strengthening the immune system and the heart, helps us recover from illness quicker? And why does a happy marriage lower blood pressure? Because you and I were made for community. I'd like to go on a little bit of a journey into the scriptures, and I want to prove this point to you, okay? Each of us has a deep desire to be in community. And just before I do that, I want to ask, has anybody seen the next slide uh, that's about to come on? Who here, put your hand up if you've got a Facebook account. That's what I thought. Have a look around. Keep your hands up. Facebook, the Facebook phenomenon More than 500 million active users, that's one in 14 people on this planet, are on Facebook around the world. Isn't that crazy? 50% of of our active users log on to Facebook in any given day. Yeah. (laughs) An average user has 130 friends. It's ridiculous. People spend over 700 billion minutes per month on Facebook If you work that out, as an accountant does, individually, that's 50 minutes per day per person. Has anyone been poked here or hugged? (laughs) Or has anyone done the test, what city should I settle down in? Or what Star Wars character do I most look like? (laughs) People update their status, don't they, for ridiculous reasons. Sammy is going to the shops to buy a carrot. (laughs) Or Sammy is preaching at least today. Two people like this. (laughs) But the question is, why has Facebook become such a phenomenon? I believe because people are desperate for community, desperate to connect, 
to belong. And yet even Facebook doesn't seem to be solving our problems. God has called us to do life together. And I want to prove that just as we go into Scripture now. So where, where does this desire for relationship come from? Well, we're going to go back to the start of beginning of time. We're going to go to Genesis, which means beginnings. We're going to read from Genesis 1, 26. If you have a Bible with you, you can open that, or it should come on the screen behind me. Genesis 1, 26 says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, creepy crawlies. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. I just want to draw a few points to try and explain what I'm saying here. If you look at Genesis 1.26, and just look at the first couple of words, it says this. Then God said, let us, let us make man in our own image. I, I don't know if that strikes a chord with you. I don't know if that makes you think, why, why does God use plurality there? Why is it let us? Is it that God, while he was creating us, he was speaking to the angels? And he said, angels, let's, let's make man. Or is it a, a majestical term, like the royal we? I don't believe so. There's no indication in Scripture that God, with the angels, made us. God and himself made us. This is the first reference of the Trinity. God, and this is incredible, an incredible thought. God is community. Trinity, relational. He's a relational being. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit existing as three persons, but one God. Perfect oneness, yet three persons. How can God be three persons, yet one God? It's a difficult, difficult question people throughout history have tried to paint different pictures um, to explain this amazing truth. But I think the truth is there is no analogy um, that adequately teaches about the Trinity. And I think all, in a way, are slightly misleading in different ways. But what it does tell us, that God himself has been experiencing community throughout eternity. Community is rooted in the very being of God. In one sense, the doctrine of the Trinity is a mystery that we'll never be able to understand. But I think from Scripture, we can understand something of its truth by summarizing these three statements. God is three persons. Each person is fully God. And there is one God. Dallas Willard put it a bit like this. The Trinity is a self-sufficing community of unspeakably magnificent personal beings of boundless love, knowledge, and power. And you know, if you do a study on this, I really encourage you to do that. We don't have time to unpack all of that today. But if you look throughout Scripture, you see God, when He speaks of His Son, He exalts Him. Here's my Son who I'm well pleased with. 
When Jesus uh, talks about a God, he talks about, I don't do anything unless it's the will of the Father. And the Holy Spirit only comes when Jesus is exalted. And so in all of this, it is this perfect relationship. Somebody once said, out of community, everything was made. Really interesting. And I know this is difficult, difficult or not. The idea of the Trinity turns out to be vitally important because it tells us that God himself has been experiencing community. I'm going to just unpack a little bit more. So Genesis 1.26, let us, God, Trinity, let us make man. And the verse goes on, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Made in the image of God, the Imago Dei. The word image here is translated from the Hebrew Selem, and it literally means shape, resemblance, figure, shadow. And the other Hebrew word for likeness is actually demu, and it refers to something that is similar but not identical. Similar to what it represents, but not identical. If you like, every human is carved out of God, and we're created to reflect who he is and reflect his image. Man is like God. He, he's not God, but he represents God. If you like, we are image bearers of God. We're made to reflect his glory. And there are many characteristics about man which image God but one, the one I want to focus on today, is this desire to live in community. We're image bearers of God. We've been made to reflect God's image, reflect his glory. And this is done by being in community with God and being in community with others. Let me just give a slightly different point on this. We're going to move slightly forward to Genesis 2. Okay, and this just gives a slight different angle on the whole creation story. In Genesis 2.16, it says this, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. It's very, very easy to miss an incredible point here. At this very point in creation, sin has not entered the world. Okay, so everything is perfect. Everything. You go through Scripture and through the creation story, God says, it is good, this is good, it is good. But he comes to one thing, and God actually says, it is not good. But sin has not come into the world. How can something not be good if everything is perfect? We assume when we read this part of the Genesis story that God's made I don't know, a mistake. He, he makes Adam and then suddenly he looks down and thinks, man, Adam looks really lonely or he's not able to wash his dishes and he's not able to do things right. So I'm going to make him a helper. 
I need to rethink this. Okay, I don't believe that's not the point I think God is trying to make. God didn't make a mistake. So why is there that time lapse? I think God is trying to make a point to show how important he views relationships and community. And this is the best way I can describe it with a quote from Tim Gatos. It'll make you think, okay, but this is what it is. Talking on Adam, he said, he was not lonely because he was imperfect. He was lonely because he was perfect. Okay, it's very simple, but just have a think about it. He was not lonely because he was imperfect. He was lonely because he was perfect. This ache that God has given us, this ache, this desire for community, it doesn't come from sin. Okay, this is a perfect ache given by God. This is because, as we said before, God is relational in himself, created you in his image to be relational. Can man fundamentally be alone and reflect God's image? No. God wants us to be made in his image and reflecting his image by engaging, engaging in community. We are image bearers of God, as I said before. We're made to reflect his glory. And God is calling us, the church, to continue to do this. He's called us to do life together, if you like. John Ortberg put it like this, community is the place God made for us or made us for. Community is the place where God meets us. You might be saying, Sammy, that's, that's all very good. We're made for community. I believe that. I have a desire to be in community. But if we were made for community, why do we avoid it? Why is there this opposing desire to also avoid community? Why do we never achieve community? Why are there so many broken relationships? If we were made for community, made to be together, why is it all such a mess? I don't know about you, if you've ever tried to talk to someone in Edinburgh on the bus in the morning, or uh, spoken to someone in a lift. It's like people think you have two heads or something. Isn't that so true? Um, me and my wife had just recently moved into uh, a flat in Newington. And as we were moving in, we met our next door neighbor. And as Helen does, she's very friendly. She introduced herself um, to our neighbor. And you should have seen the look <laughs> that the neighbor gave us. He thought there was something wrong. I don't know if you've come across that or you felt that kind of people opposed to community, opposed to saying hello, being friendly? Why is there this opposing desire, the desire to break from community, not engage with people? Why is Edinburgh the loneliest city in the UK? In order to understand this, we're going to go back to the beginning. Okay, we're going to go back to Genesis. And we're going to skip again to chapter 3. Again, if you've got your Bibles, you can look this up, but it'll come on the screen behind me. Genesis 3 says this. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden 
that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord among the trees. And the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? Where are you? It's quite an interesting story. The serpent in this story, which represents the devil... He goes right after self, self-knowledge, self-glorification. If you like, he went after real community. You see, there was perfect community between man, woman, and God. But the devil was all about, be about yourself, be about you, be like God. Selfishness is a product of Adam and Eve and ultimately, a product of sin. They made it all about themselves. We all want to think if we were in Adam's position or Adam or Eve's position, we'd do the opposite, wouldn't we? We all want to think that we're better than everyone else. I'm not as bad as that person. But you know, the writers of Scripture insist that no one is good at least not as God defines good. The Bible says, all we like sheep have gone astray. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This explains a very important aspect of the opening pages of Scripture. They are trying to establish a deep, deep truth. Nobody's perfect. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. We've all got issues. Every one of us, all we like sheep. All we like sheep have habits that we can't control, past deeds that we can't undo, flaws we can't correct, relationships that we've broken, and we've become consumed with ourselves and so destroyed community, community with God and community with others. You know, the Bible calls this sin. It literally means missing the mark, not living up to God's standard. And you know, we may not think much of it, but sin is repulsive to God. And it's the most destructive force on this planet. It's sin that causes death. Sin is so powerful that the Bible calls it the law of of sin and death. You may say this morning, Sammy, I don't believe in sin. I just try to be the best person that I can be. James 1.15 says, Sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. 
in the same way that the law of gravity will make you fall from that stage up there if you were to go up there and jump from it. You may say, I don't believe in the law of gravity, but you'll still fall, and you'll probably break your leg, and we'll laugh when you do it. So the law of sin and death will take you out unless you deal with it. It'll take you out in this life, bring you down. This is the horrendous thing. It'll take you out for eternity. It's called hell. That's horrendous. Do you think I like saying this stuff? This is not a popular thing to say. It's not politically correct. But I believe the Bible is true when it says all we like sheep have gone astray. And ever since we turned our back on God, we've become all about self. Self-glorification, self-gratification. Where there's no deception, no lies. Separation came. Sin entered the world. We long, we ache, that desire for community we were talking about, we, we long for it. We long for an ache for joyous, endless community, but it's unsatisfying because of sin. It makes us about ourselves. Don't know what you think, but it feels sometimes like we live in a transaction-based culture, in the West anyway. It's like our, our culture is, what can I get out of this relationship? You ever feel like that? We hang out with people so we can get something out of them. Or maybe they'll boost my ego. Do you ever hear, I'm here to invest in you? We pursue our selfish desires. It all becomes about me and not community. And as we do this, we continue to become so disconnected. Surrounded, yes, by people. But so very alone. I don't know about you, but... I feel like I can identify with this. I believe we can identify this with this in this very room. There's pain uh, in this room in Leith today. All you have to do is look at the trail of your relationships. We, we hurt people, don't we? And, and we get hurt by others. And what do we do? We pull back, pull back from relationships. We stop trusting and we pull back but doesn't change our desire for friendship and community. Why? As I said earlier, because we were created in the image of God. We were created to be in community. So what does real community look like? What does real community look like? We talked about how sin came into the world and separated us from God and from others. But you know, the story's not complete and I wouldn't be doing it justice. And here is the most amazing, incredible news and it gets me every day. No longer needs to be that way. That broken relationship that we're talking about between man and God Ultimately, it can be fixed. Maybe you're saying, Sammy, how, 
How does that work? Do you know you can't earn it? It's not about being good enough. It's not even by going to church or even being religious. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ entered into human history for one purpose, to bridge the gap between man and God. We deserve death. That's what the Bible says. The wages of sin is death. But Jesus, in his love and incredible grace, took the most horrific death on our behalf. That is amazing. I don't care where you are today or where you're at. You can choose to bridge that gap. Romans 10, 9 to 10 says this. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you recognize your need, I'm a sinner, talked about earlier, missing the mark, I've missed the mark. If you choose to turn from your old life, old patterns of thinking, your habits, put your faith in Jesus. means putting him first in your life, making him number one. And God says, you will be saved. That is the gospel. That is the good news. You know, if you're here today and you're saying, Sammy, I need that. I need a new start. My life's a mess. I need to connect with the creator who made me. Do you know what? I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that at the end of the service. It's very important just to start there because this gospel that we talked about, that gospel creates a new community. That new community, God's community, is called the church. The church is the community of God. And I I really believe this. I believe the church is the answer for Leith. I believe the church is the answer for Edinburgh and its loneliness. And I also believe it's the answer for the world and for all its problems. John Piper, when he was talking about church community, put it like this. Church community is a blood-bought gift of God's grace on the cross. Jesus bought us the gift of community. He reconciled us to himself, reconciled us to each other, a gift from God, and we get to image him. It's amazing. This gospel not just reconciles us, man and God, but to each other. I don't know if you've ever been to California, uh, over the west coast of America. But in California, they have um, a national park which has the tallest and most spectacular trees in the world. Anyone know what they're called? Redwoods, yes. The redwood trees. I don't know if you know anything about the redwood trees. Why would you? But the redwood trees, let me tell you about them. The redwood trees are 300 feet tall. Okay, they're some of the tallest trees in the world. As well as that, they're about 2,500 years old. So some of them are the oldest trees in the world. But the amazing thing about the redwoods, even though they're so tall, their roots actually only go a few feet deep. Why is that important? 
How can a tree 300 feet tall with only a few shallow roots, how does it stay up when the winds blow? When scientists look at this, looked at this, they saw actually that the, the roots of a redwood tree, the strength comes from actually intertwining with all the other roots. Only a few feet deep, but they stretch for miles, intertwining with every other redwood. And that's what gives the redwoods their strength. You know, I think that's a great picture of the church. God has called us to be interdependent, if you like. Not independent on our own. Not dependent, but interdependent. How do you build community in church? How do we live lives where people matter more than stuff? What does that look like? I'm just going to unpack a few more verses before we close. We've been looking at beginnings today. We've looked at Genesis, the beginnings. So we're going to go back to the beginning, this time to the beginning of the early church in Acts. I'm reading from Acts 2, 42 to 47, says this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I think in these verses we get a glimpse of the life and the spirit of the early church. And I think we have a lot to learn from them. So let's unpack just a few points from these verses. Verse 42 says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, the breaking of bread and the prayers. Who are they? It says, and they. Okay, who are they? If you go back um, into Acts, just a few verses before that, um, you find the day of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit comes and it's the birth of the early church. And at that point, uh, there's a massive Jewish festival going on and there's people from all around the world there if you go into Acts 2, 9 to 12, it says this. These are the people that were present, that, started the, that were um, involved in the early church. This is the and they people, if you like. It says in Acts 2, 9 to 12, Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Phamph- I don't even know if I'm saying these things right, Phamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, Visitors from Rome, Cretans, and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? All these different people coming together under one roof. You know what? That's what real community is. Real community is where everyone is welcome. All traditions, social classes, 
and races. And I, I love this about Destiny Church. We have so many people um, that come here from different nationalities. I think the last time that we counted, it was over 30 different nationalities, and I think that's incredible. There's no such place that exists in the world like the church. I don't know if you, you asked the question, but how can so many people, um, so many different nationalities, so many different cultures, how do we not explode? You know, I'll answer that in a minute. But the challenge, the first kind of challenge and point that I want to make is very simply, do you hang out with people that are different to you? Do you know the Irish are the worst at this? They all stick together, don't they? (laughs) But do you hang out with people that are different to you? Do you make friends with those outside of your age group? People group? Class? Nationality? Do you build community with people who are different from you? Can I really challenge you to have a think about that? And if you feel convicted, to do something about that. There's such a wealth of inspiration, and it's, it's what God has planned, to have relationship with people that are different to us. Verse 43 goes on, it says, And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. You know, real community has one focus. You know what that is? Jesus Christ. That is where unity comes from. And with unity, these verses tell us, comes signs and wonders. The power of the Holy Spirit comes when we are united as God's people under one focus, Jesus Christ. We've seen so many miracles take place in this church and it's so exciting, awesome to see it wouldn't be amazing to see even more. The verse says as well at the start there, everyone was filled with awe, or awe came upon every soul. You see, real community focuses you on the awe of God, the awesomeness, basically. If your community, your home group, is not making you in awe of God, according to Scripture, it's not real community. Real community should make you in awe of God. We answered that, or we looked at that question before. How can so many different nationalities, cultures, weirdos, (laughs) be under one roof, the church? It's the unity of Christ. That's what that brings. I suppose the second challenge to you would be, are you in unity? What does that mean? Well, you know, do you have an issue with somebody today? Are you holding a grudge against someone today? Because if you are, God's not okay with that. You need to go and make that right. Are you in unity? The verses go on in verse 44 and 45. It says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they sold their possessions and goods and distributed them to all as any had need. We have a lot of images that come to mind uh, when we think of this word fellowship that was mentioned in verse 42. 
We think of simple togetherness, Christian friendship. <laughs> but Luke seems to focus on another more radical meaning of fellowship. Okay, this word fellowship, if you look at it in the Greek, actually means koinonia, and it's built on the root meaning common, having in common, sharing. His first illustration is that the believers, if you like, were so bonded that if one was in need, the others did not feel that they had the right to live on in prosperity without giving up something to meet the need. So they would sell their possessions, use the money to meet the needs of the poor in the church. Wow. That's an amazing picture of true friendship where people shared didn't hold on to things. It wasn't about them. It was about friendship. It was about other people. John Wimber, one of the key leaders in the Vineyard Movement, he put it like this. People come to church for many reasons, but stay for only one. Friendship. Bonhoeffer said, the church only exists as a church when it lives for others. So true. God's community is about others. It's not about you. There are 54 instances in Scripture of how we're supposed to be with one another. Here are just 20. I'm going to read them really fast, so listen up. Love one another. Be at peace with one another. Show hospitality to one another. Honor one another. Don't judge one another. Bear one another's burdens. Forgive one another. Be kind to one another. Submit to one another. Don't lie to one another. Do not speak evil of one another. Pray for one another. Be like-minded with one another. Do not hold grudges with one another. Highly esteem one another. Do not be partial to one another. Fellowship with one another. Nearly done. Encourage one another. Teach one another. Do good to one another. They're called the one another commands, just in case you didn't know. <laughs> and just in case you're in any doubt, you can't do these things on your own. You need community. Do you know if you're going to be patient or you're going to be nice or your patience is going to grow? You need to be in community with somebody that winds you up. It's true. They need to be someone just like you. Henry Newman put it like this, community is the place where the person you least want to live with always lives. <laughs> I think when we read, we have this idea, don't we, when we read these things in Scripture of, of some kind of utopia where everyone is, is loving one another and there's peace and it's rubbish. <laughs> It's not how the Bible paints the picture. Community is messy. I had an experience when I was leading a home group. We used to have this uh, wonderful person who I love dearly uh, come along. And they used to be so passionate about worship. And they would sing to their heart's content when we, we did worship at home group. And you know it was awesome? except that it was so out of tune. <laughs> and I really struggled with this. 
Okay, and I've repented, don't worry. (laughs) I really struggled with this. And I remember in in these kind of times, I I used to focus on the person rather than God, and I used to get get frustrated. I was like, God, can you not heal her vocal cords? (laughs) And you know what? In that moment, God rebuked me, and he said, Sammy, look at the way she worships me. She doesn't care about anyone else that's around me. She doesn't care what's going on, and you're focusing on her. Why isn't your focus on me? And you know, it really encouraged me and, and, and really helped me grow in my faith, loving people. It doesn't matter what they're like, what they look like, what they smell like, what they sing like. And actually in that moment... She was more godly than I ever was. You say, this is impossible. I can't do all these things that we've listed. You know what? That's why God has given us his Holy Spirit. He helps us build community. It's not something we can build ourselves. It's supernatural. The second last verse, verse 46 says, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they partook of food with glad and generous hearts. Breaking bread might refer um, to the Lord's Supper, but might simply refer to just having meals together. They did life together. They spent time together. It says they spent time together in large groups, attending the temple together, and small groups. We need both. We need to to be both in the large group and the small groups. Both are essential for community. I believe you cannot experience the fullness of community here at Destiny if you don't go along to a home group. They're just as important to the church as the Sunday services. And what is a home group? Maybe you're here, you've only been here a few weeks. A home groups are smaller versions of this meeting across the city, a time of getting to know people, maybe 10, 11 people, meeting in a home, having some fellowship and food together, discussing things that are going on on Sunday, but a time to pray for each other, to to spend social time together. If you're not in a home group, can I really encourage you to get connected? Okay, and you can do that today. You go to the back, and there's home groups all over the city. Okay, you will live near one, I assure you. Many of you are not in home group, community group. Maybe you have your reasons. Maybe the group is not theological enough for you that you went along to. Or maybe there weren't enough good-looking girls. (laughs) I don't know how shallow you are. But you know what? Community is not about you. Never has been, and it never will be. It's about Jesus. So as soon as that thought penetrates, you're anti-community. So can I encourage you? Think about joining a home group. Get along to the information desk at the back and sign up. You'll love it. In verse 47, just in closing, praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And the Lord added to their number daily. 
You want to know the key to church growth? Don't get me wrong when I say church growth here. Growth is not just in size, but in character as well. So when I'm saying church growth, yes, I mean numbers, but I also mean people in their faith growing. You want to see people grow in character, grow in love for each other, as well as people being drawn to church. We need to be an authentic, loving community. Pastor Bill Clem said it like this, the world will never recover from the community of God's people living lives that reflect His glory. People living in biblical community are a dangerous people. It's so powerful. Tim Glados put it like this, this is not counterculture. This is creating a culture, offering a culture to the one that is trying to counterfeit the real deal. Love one another so that all men may know that you are my disciples. Why do we do church, guys? Why do we do this? It's all about whether we're going to be a community of believers loving each other, looking after each other in Leith and in Gorgie, and transforming this great but lonely city. And we do it for Jesus. I pray Leith will not recover from all of you guys here at Destiny living this out. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are community. Father, I thank you that you have created us to have a deep desire, a deep ache for community. God, I thank you that you made a way to reconcile that community. God, I thank you that you have created a community here in Leith. And God, I pray that we would love one another. God, that we would share, that we would love, that we would serve one another. And God, people would be drawn to that. God, I pray for anyone here today that's struggling with issues of unity. God, I pray today that they would go and sort that out. Not just if it's here, but outside of the church. God, I pray that they would go and restore those broken relationships. Father, I pray for people that aren't connected to a home group. I pray that they would go along and get connected. They would take that step of courage and do that today. God, I pray for those that are mixing only with the same people. I pray that they would go step out of their comfort zones and mix with people, different nationalities, different races, different cultures, different social classes. God, I pray that in Leith we would be a community that loves the people in this area, no matter where they're at. And as we do that, God, the people will be drawn to you. I spoke earlier about relationships. I shared a little bit about relationships that are broken. I shared that ultimately 
that relationship between us and God has been broken. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, Sammy, I've never connected with God. I've never made that decision to connect that relationship. Maybe you're here today and you're feeling lonely. You feel like you're not connecting with people. You know, the Bible talks about sin as a very serious subject. And if you're here today and you've not made that commitment to Jesus Christ, if you've not said, God, I love you, would you accept me? Bible says you're lost I just want to encourage you in a few moments I'm going to pray and I invite you guys if you've never made that commitment you've never connected with God in that way as a friend can I encourage you this is the best decision that you can make all it takes very simply I'll lead you into a prayer in a wee minute saying God I recognize my sin I recognize my broken relationships I recognize things aren't right and I need to make it right I recognize Jesus that you took my sin and my shame when you were nailed to the tree and God I thank you for that God, I now choose to turn from my old life, change my way of thinking, get rid of my habits, and I choose to follow you, put you number one in my life. If that's you today, we're just gonna, I'm just gonna lead you in a prayer. Just repeat it under your breath. Someone else needs to hear. That's you today. Just pray. God, I thank you that you love me. I thank you that you died for me. Jesus, I recognize that my life is not right. I have things that I do. I have a trail of broken relationships. I'm a sinful man. But God, I thank you for what you've done for me. Jesus, I thank you that you came 2,000 years ago to make that relationship back together, to fix it. And so God, I turn from my old life. And I choose to put my faith, put my trust in you. 